0: I cannot wait to see you. Hey there, welcome to Latina to Latina. I'm Alicia Menendez, your host and contributing editor at Basel. I
1: like that there's a story for little girls that teaches them that they can win if they're good and they don't give up. And I think that that's actually like a big recurring theme in my life is that if I work hard, And I don't give up. Maybe I'll win like my character did.
0: This episode, I'll be talking to Cristela Alonso. When we met four years ago, she was on her way to making TV history as the first Latina to create, produce, and star in a network sitcom. She's amazing. But all that career stuff is nothing compared to the actual in-person magic that is Cristela Alonso. All the talent, none of the ego. You've lived one of the things on my bucket list which is voicing uh, in my case a Disney character yes. you, you, you d- voiced a Pixar character I'm a toy but I'm a, I also I'm a like, toy. Came, that, with that. what came with that was friends from high school reaching out and asking you if you would like call their kid to be like <laughs> hey it's Cruz Ramirez <laughs> you know the,
1: it's funny because I get people that say do the voice do the voice for my kid it's my voice <laughs> so I just talk it, it, and, it, hi yes so I'm like Hi, this is Cruz. (laughs) And you can tell they're so disappointed. Like they wanted me to turn into a yellow car right in front of them. Like I'm a transformer. Like like, it's my voice. I'm just—it's my voice. Was it cool? It was awesome. You know, it took—I got the job. uh, I'll be honest. I had been asked to do the View, and I turned down the View. I loved the View, and I loved the women on the View. But when you know it's not for you, you just can't make it work. And I said, no. And again, my agents were like, what are you doing? This is dumb. And I said, no, it's just my heart's not in it. And I can only do things that, that I want to do. And uh, two weeks later, I got the Pixar meeting. and it was so secretive. they didn't tell me why I was going. They just one of my agents called me and said, "Do you want to go to Pixar?" And I'm like, "I guess. like it's such a random. I'm like, do you have a group on? Like why are we going?" Like I don't understand." So um, they didn't give me any details. I went to Pixar. They gave me like the super private tour couldn't take pictures and then they start telling me about Cars 3 and then I'm like well that's cool good for you guys I hope it works out because I didn't know I was auditioning for it I didn't know they were considering me for it and then they asked me to read some lines and I was like oh you want me to be that character and they're like yeah didn't they tell you and I was like no so um, I auditioned for it and two days later I got the call Which came at the perfect time. I was in Canada doing a stand-up tour. Someone had stolen my identity. I lost my credit cards. I was completely like no money, no nothing. Like I can I get an
0: advance on that? uh (laughs) Yeah.
1: Like I had no money, and I remember just I walked two miles to this bank. It turned out to be an office. It wasn't a bank. It was like like uh, mortgages. I lost it, and at that point I was miserable. I got the call saying that I got. Cars 3 and I was like yes and I started working with them and I found out that originally my character Cruz Ramirez was a boy and then they decided to make it into a girl because they wanted to introduce a girl character to show that girls could race too and I was like I love that already great love it then I started reading the lines and it was a small role and they were like oh you're it's no big deal you'll come in do some lines you'll be done soon so they started flying me up from LA to Oakland to like Emeryville where they're based So my daily commute started being flying up to do lines and I was in the booth and I was in there with the director and, you know, with some of the writers, like the, you know, there were like maybe four people with me at all times. And between breaks, I would tell them stories about growing up in South Texas and just different little stuff. And they started adding lines that I've said into the script. And I said, oh my God. And I even noticed it. I'm like, I said that. I remember I said that. And this part started growing more they started re- they kept rewriting it and rewriting it and then they kept adding more of the stuff that i that i was talking about and one of them actually became like the heart of the movie which was um me dealing with imposter syndrome and just feeling that i i'm not going to be good enough i'm going to be caught people are going to find out i'm not you know that i don't deserve to be there dream small crews that's what my family used to say dream small, or not at all. They were just trying to protect me. But I was the fastest kid in town, and I was gonna prove them wrong.
0: What happened?
1: When I got to my first race, I figured it out. What? That I didn't belong. When I was younger, my family used to tell me that because that's what they had been told. So when I was a kid, I told them that I wanted to act and I wanted to perform and write. And they were like, yeah, but that doesn't happen for people like us, like be more realistic, get a, get a realistic dream. And I was like, no, I think I can do it. Like I really wanna do it. And they're like, no, like you are not like that. Dreams like that are for people with money. You don't have money, like be more real. Be wise with your choices. And I told Pixar that story and I told them how my mom used to always tell me to dream small so that I wouldn't be disappointed. And I was telling her that I just really always wanted to try because even if I failed, I felt like I won because I at least tried. I didn't have to wonder. I had no regrets. And I remember telling Pixar, like, there was a moment that, you know, every moment that I go into a room even now where I know that I'm going to be the only one of my kind, there's always a second where I realize, where I wonder, is this the moment that they find out that I don't belong here? Is this the moment that my family pretends that, (laughs) that, like my family thinks, you know, when I find out that my family's right? And they were just, I didn't know this. The next time I went up, that was a big scene in the movie. And they had me read it, and I bawled while I read it. And I think that's the take we used, because it was just so I couldn't believe it. Like I couldn't believe that. And it was that thing where Pixar said, we we felt the heart of Cruz when you said that, and we realized that's what Cruz was. So we want to give Cruz the chance to win because you won. And I told them, "I haven't won." But I love that Cruz is going to win because (laughs) (laughs) I like I I haven't won, but I I really I love that Cruz is going to win because that shows me that if if I'm Cruz and she gets to win, then maybe I get to win eventually, too. And that became the whole character grew where, you know, spoiler alert, adults listening to this podcast, Cruz wins the race at the end. She gets to accomplish her big dream of being a racer and. I remember when they screened it. They said Pixar screens it privately. More
0: or less than I'm crying now.
1: (laughs) I was probably crying less, just because I
0: (laughs) like listen, get it together, lady. No, well,
1: you know, honestly, I was. I think uh, I was crying less, and I'll be honest with you, I was crying less because my biggest, one of the biggest problems I have is that I, I'm very hard on myself. I have very low self-esteem. I don't think that I deserve anything I get, uh, but I work really hard. So I accept that I get things because I work hard, but I don't think I deserve them. And it's because I was raised to think like that. So me, I was crying because I couldn't believe that someone acknowledged my story as being special because no one ever tells me that I'm special. So it's that thing where um, it's hard for me to accept it. You know, even when the movie was done, I, I couldn't believe that I. It, it took a time. I don't even think I've really accepted that I was part of it. Pixar did that, spe- like a secret screening outside of Phoenix. And I remember they came back and said that uh, there's a moment where Cruz uh, wins the race at the end. And the kids and everybody in the theater applauded because they didn't see it coming. And the thing that really I found I found moving but also heartbreaking were that there were little girls that they told me, Pixar told me there were little girls at the screening that thought they didn't understand the movie because they weren't used to girls winning. They were asking their parents, did the girl really win? And that was heartbreaking. But at the same time, I was so grateful that Pixar let that character exist and you know and you know Coco came out afterwards and everybody loves Coco and I'm not saying that because I'm playing Cruz Ramirez but I think that we also need to acknowledge the existence of Cruz before Coco too because Cruz came out in the summer and she was a Latina character that wasn't Latina. Cruz Ramirez and Coco can exist in the same company they can be created by the same people we need more representation of different kinds to show that we're all very different and our stories can be different, but we all come from the same place, you know? And um, for me, Cruz uh, Ramirez, Cars 3, is probably the best thing I've done because I say that uh, kids are the ones that we have to really be cautious with. We have to be careful with our words around them. We have to be careful with what we do in front of them. We have to teach them early that their voices matter and that they matter. Because when they're not told that, when they're not taught that as children, we grow up to be cynical adults that think that change is pointless. And I like that there's a story for little kids, especially little girls, that teaches them that they can win if they're good and they don't give up. And I think that that's actually like a big recurring theme in my life is that if I work hard and I don't give up, maybe I'll win like my character did.
0: Crystal, here's my favorite thing that happens on Twitter. Someone finds your show, Cristela, for the first time. They watch it. They're like, this show is amazing. I love this show. And then they tweet at you, when's your show coming
1: back? (laughs) There's people that watched it when it was on the air that still ask me when second season is
0: coming. And I'm like, that was uh, almost four years ago, you guys. Let it go. Let it go. It's such a unique experience for the rest of your life, no matter what you do from here on out. Yeah. You you are now the first Latina to yeah. ever create, yeah. produce, write, and star mm-hmm. in your own television show. Now, with with some time and distance, what does that mean to you?
1: Uh, it means that it allows me to do other things that unfortunately, I think at the same time, allows me to be the first one to do other things, which reminds me that it's very sad that I'm the first one to do things. When I did Cars 3, I was the first Latina lead in a Pixar movie, and it was a big deal for them because they had never done that before. Every time I do a stand-up show, I always have a Latina that comes up to me and tells me that their show helped them somehow. And it's funny how when people are hungry for representation, they cling on to something and they see what they want to see, the message Mm -hmm. that allows them to do things. So for me... I love when people discover this show, and I love that people get what they want. At the same time, though, I hate that I didn't get more of an opportunity to work on the show, especially right now in the time that we're living in. Yeah, can
0: you imagine that show in this moment?
1: Yeah, because my, my whole life is based on really thriving in these moments and like really trying to bring out a voice that is never, never featured, never focused on, and I, I think that's a little heartbreaking. That's annoying.
0: It was largely sort of in the format of shows that you had grown up loving. Yes, um, you know these like multicam, yes, family sitcoms, and it was yes. inspired by your experience as a Mexican-American growing up.
1: Yeah, it was actually a time in my life where I actually moved in with my sister to help take care of her kids. I helped raise her kids, three kids. In the show, there were two, because three kids is expensive. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Lots of tutors on set.
1: <laughs> exactly. Um, it was take- so I had moved in with my sister. I was taking care of my mom. Uh, she was sick. I was taking care of the kids. And I wanted to show, I wanted to show a-, a show um, where the woman didn't need to find love. You know, it was it, because I feel like every time we see a single woman, a lot of times it's her trying to find her perfect match. And for me, I wasn't really allowed to at that time. I had other responsibilities. I wasn't special. I knew a lot of women in my position, but we don't have shows about them. We don't, we don't talk about them at all. You know, I thought that was really groundbreaking to actually show a single woman that didn't necessarily think about getting married because she was the aunt.
0: But how funny, we never talked about your show as a feminist show.
1: Uh, no, because... Uh, it was too
0: busy being a Latino show yes. to be a feminist show. And it couldn't <laughs> yes. possibly be both.
1: Absolutely. You know, it was that thing where I was the fish out of water at work. I worked in a law firm. And my boss in the show was actually based on an old boss I used to have that was super Republican. He would threaten to fire me if I didn't read and Coulter books. Because he wanted me to learn, like, the right way to do things. And- I
0: like your your play on right there.
1: <laughs> Isn't that crazy? Like, he would leave the books on my desk and he would say, this is her new book, you should read it. And he would quiz me on it to see if I read it and I would have to read it. And it was that thing where you read it and you just kind of realize that that you're the problem <laughs> as you're reading it. You're just like, well, this is not a love letter to me at all. <laughs> so, but Silly I did, Christella. <laughs> I know. Hey, guys. But I do think uh, in a weird way, I think that uh, just the way that we are as a society, we go through trends. And I think that a lot of people use movements as trends, I don't mean the people involved in the movement. My God, no. But I think that my show was very feminist, and I think it was maybe a year before the feminist movement kind of took off where everybody was kind of accepting that it was going to be around. You know, if my show had probably come out during the time that the Women's March
0: had come out. Or just in the, in the peak of Donald Trump.
1: Yes. In a weird way, I was predicting the future. I did a Netflix special and I remember. Lower classy. <laughs> and in the special, I remember we were shooting it in San Antonio and we shot the first show. And one of the Netflix uh, executives came up to me. And this is obviously before Trump won. And he said, um, Do you want to change the jokes and change maybe the pretense and change some of the stuff? Because he probably won't win. And I was like, No, we have to leave it like that. It's It's a snapshot of where we are in this country. We can't deny that it's happening. And. The special came out a year ago, and it's more relevant now than it was a year ago. And it's that thing where it's kind of frightening to see how accurate it is. And when you look back on my show, it's kind of weird to see how accurate it is now. I feel that both my special and my show were about, like, a year or two before its time, which I think is really sad. I always said um, during the production of my show— my show will probably not last, but the next one that gets the opportunity will last.
0: Oh, I hate that you were right about that. <laughs> because, you know, I think one of the things in, in the few years, and even though we're in different industries, there's an overlap because it all sort of is under the media umbrella. Yes. One of the naivetes I had coming into this business was that it was an escalator and it was up, 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 up. Mm-hmm. And that each big opportunity, if I worked hard as I always knew I would – did my best yes. would lead to a bigger opportunity so not the way Mm-mm. this actually works at all and i wish that the humility i've earned was not earned <laughs> i had just come in <laughs> knowing that because you really end up having your ass handed to you i was talking to my therapist about this this week <laughs> i was telling him that i actually
1: wonder how um because at times i struggle with depression and i think a lot of it comes from that from the idea that you're taught as a kid that if you're nice and you work hard and you're a good person, things will happen. And they can. But in certain industries, in certain things that you choose to go into, you realize that it's not enough. And when you
0: when you do all those things. And on top of that, you're also extraordinarily talented Yeah. and exceptional in a number of ways, but this is also not a business that's a meritocracy. <laughs>
1: Absolutely. And it's weird because I guess in certain industries, and in certain jobs, stats, statistics matter. <laughs> I kind of wish we had that scale on this job where I can look at peers and say, you're not good at this. And you know, be told that like, you're not good at this. I think that when you grow up having this idea, when people tell you, and look, they mean well, and you should be a good person and you should work hard and you should be nice. But you also have to realize that If things don't work out the way you wanted them to, that's not your fault. And I think that a lot of times we tend to look inwards and think, what did I do wrong? And we have to understand, you didn't do anything wrong. It's just, it wasn't your time or it wasn't your thing. I say this a lot in talks where people always say, oh, my prayers weren't answered. And I always say, well, they were, the answer was no.
0: You're like the opposite of a motivational speaker. <laughs>
1: I'm like, why try so hard? It's all pointless. Everybody, my seminar is $5. Walk on this fire. I know. It's going to burn and you'll learn nothing, but walk on it. Like, you know. I'm like the anti-Tony Robbins.
0: How do you work around the fact that you will probably never be fully embraced?
1: You know, I think, uh, well, a couple things. Well, first of all, I, do you think that's fair? Yeah. Actually, I think that um, the people that want to be in the writer's room, the people that want to get a show, the people that want to do that, you should absolutely do that. I think that what would help is that if more people like me that have been in that situation can go back and tell people that are coming up what to
0: expect. So what do you expect?
1: You know, like, well, in a writer's room... What is a writer's room? A writer's room, for me, my personal experience was uh, being told... uh, Being told no a lot on my show. But, like, what do you do? Like, you sit around and, like, jam? Yeah, we actually basically have, uh, you know, like, imagine a cliche 80s movie. Like, it's a corporate room and somebody, like, long table and everybody's sitting at these tables and somebody comes in and they're like, I've sold you. You know, I have bought the company. You're all fired. (laughs) You know, like, it's that kind of table where there's just a lot of people sitting around. And we have a whiteboard that has the episodes that we're going to do. And we start pitching stories, and because the show was so close to me, I wanted to do stories that were a little different, but also uh, I wanted them to be different from other sitcoms. Because you know, when you see a lot of sitcoms, you kind of you know which ones are coming. You know, sometimes they're very typical, and um, I always wanted the I always I just wanted everybody to work as much as I did, and I wanted people to care as much as I did. And you realize that. Oh, what you <laughs> I, know. I That was me. It was me being naive. Me not having anybody. You know, when people ask me, who's your mentor? I'm like, no one. Who, who, who do I have? I, I don't have anybody that I can go to and ask for advice. I, people barely acknowledge that I did the show.
0: <laughs> but on Twitter, they do.
1: <laughs> well, I mean, the industry doesn't acknowledge that I did my show.
0: A lot of the reviews for your show, one of the big takeaways was that you were a huge star yes. as, as an actor. Yes, yes, yes. Which has got to be sort of affirm. Like, did you, like, walk around with those to be like, told ya? You know that I actually never read any reviews. I oh, they I, were good. I
1: never read any of the reviews. I, You know, there was this thing, um, there's a show called uh, Iconoclast that was on Sundance years ago, and they would uh, put two people that, that really respected each other's work, and they would have a conversation for an hour. This is pre-podcast. And, you know, um, there was an episode with Dave Chappelle and Maya Angelou. And it's an amazing conversation. But Maya Angelou uh, has a moment where she says, uh, don't pick it up, don't put it down. And she breaks down how you can't listen to praise because if you do, you have to listen to criticism too. You can't just pick one. And for me, once I heard that, I took it to heart. I didn't read I reviews. That. I didn't I didn't like that because then she had a, a, such a great point where if you do read the good things, then you have to accept the bad things for what they are. And if you do that how on earth can you do honest work if you're always wondering what people are going to think of you? Mm-hmm. And I didn't read any of them. I don't Google myself. I don't do anything. The only time I hear anything about myself is when people go out of their way, thank you, Twitter, to tell me how awful of a person I am on Twitter, but they're always anonymous. And I always tell they're, t- they're in
0: St. Petersburg, <clears throat> babe. <laughs> I, I always,
1: I, I tell people, I'm like, babe, you believe in things, you, you, know, you believe in it so much, you have to do it anonymously. Like, come on, like- that's adorable, you know?
0: Yeah. Why Why is this an egg? <laughs> like, put a picture up here. <laughs>
1: exactly. I'm like, I'm putting my picture
0: up. You do it too. Okay, the show yes. actually gets picked up, which is like nothing short of a, a miracle. Yeah. It gets called, because you didn't read the press and I did, it gets called the little <laughs> show that could. Yes. And, you know, I always thought like, well, not knowing anything, knowing like, well, if the script is good and it's produced well and it finds an audience, then like, that's it. But like, there are all these other decisions, like time slot. Yes. Um, how promoted a show is, yes. what your lead-in is. So, and,
1: oh, and, and I didn't know this. It matters what studio owns it.
0: What, how Explain that so, to me. So,
1: like, um, I didn't know. My show was owned by 20th Century. And 20th Century would basically lease the show to ABC, which means that ABC had to pay a lot of money to rent my show so that they can broadcast it, basically. You know, um, with my show... The marketing money goes down because you already had to pay money to rent the show. So just by a technicality, by business sense, if you want to create a show right now on network TV, you should try to create it within their own studio. That's how you get more support. No one told me that. I had no idea. So I didn't know why the marketing was different. I didn't know why it was really lopsided, the shows that were owned by ABC Studios and my show. And then... You discover what people think of you with the marketing. We had a pitch that I, I fought really hard, and I, I, you know, it's a podcast, so I'm not, I can't show it. I'm gonna show you a picture of the first promo picture that they had for my show. That was so. Uh, so offensive that I
0: did they wrap you in a tamale? <laughs> like what? what was it was it? just
1: it was me. It, it really was the same picture that they used, which I hated. They told me they weren't going to use that picture. They told me we were going to reshoot it, and they totally didn't. And they uh-huh. used the picture I hated in the first reincarnation. They, it was me wearing a quinceanera crown. And each little point in the quinceanera crown had the letter of my
0: name, and it's like Cristela. See, I was worried that my tamale <laughs> comment was over the line, but now I feel actually pretty good about it. And then at the
1: bottom it said, meet the new reina of comedy. So it was like, basically like, if the poster could speak, it would be like, ay, 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 ay. Like, it's just <laughs> terrible. <laughs> yes, like, mariachi sounds everywhere, piñatas being hit, everything. And I was mortified. I was just like, I was just like... We can't do this. Everybody's going to hate the show. Please don't do this. And I didn't know that I didn't have a say in the poster, so I had even, no idea. Even
0: even as the EP, yeah, showrunner, that,
1: because that's different. That's like uh, I didn't know, so I had to fight really hard for that, and they didn't like that. Like they didn't like that I they didn't like that I had a problem with all the work that they had done on this poster, and they couldn't understand you guys this is kind of offensive like
0: people are it's, it's kind of offensive and that 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 is sort of so like I feel like we don't even need to explain that mm-hmm. I feel like the other part of it though is that you've spent 10 years yes. investing yes. in the person and brand yes. Cristela Alonso. all to have it shut down by someone else in a minute because that and that I think that is um It's it's what people don't understand. I mean, it's even if you think you get it, I think you you can't until you've had the experience yourself. Absolutely. Um, (laughs) The viewer or the person who's consuming that won't be able to differentiate the choice that was made on your behalf from Mm -hmm. you. So so no one's going to people are going to look at that poster and say, wow, that Cristela Alonzo. Yes. What a dum dum. They all
1: everybody thinks that I do everything. And that was one of the things that in which the r- P.S. you sort of do outside yes. of yes, yes. like you, yes. you
0: are both like a website builder and yes. your own graphic designer. <laughs> yeah. I like, do. I do your own makeup artist. Yes. So I do
1: it all. I, I do it all. I always say that you learn to do things out of need. So it's like I needed to do it. I didn't have money. So I learned how to code. I learned how to build my site. I built everything. I did everything by myself. The thing is, where is I, that
0: I've, I've I've decided to just pursue strategic incompetence where I walk around to all my friends and I'm like, I don't know about websites. <laughs> <laughs> Does anybody know how to put on fake lashes? <laughs>
1: <laughs> I, you know, well, you know... Um, I actually had to drop out of college uh, to take care of my family. Yeah. And what I did, I used to ask my friends to send me um, what they were studying, their curriculum. And I learned it by myself. So oh my I God, actually... I
0: ha- You're seeing the Goodwill Hunting remake, right? <laughs>
1: <laughs> so I would actually... I, I actually learned a lot of the stuff that they were learning from YouTube. And I would buy my own textbooks that they were doing it. And I would read them on my own. That's how I learned stuff. I actually went to my own university that I created, and it was all based on the curriculum that I was getting given by my friends. So I learned everything. That's why I tell people, uh, we live in a time right now where you, um, if you can't afford to go to college, that doesn't mean that that's an end to it.
0: When my babies were going through their exploration stage, I had so much to worry about. Falling over, bumping heads, what did she just put in her mouth? The list was endless. But when they were in pamper swaddlers, I knew I never had to worry about a leaky diaper. Swathers are great for both baby and mommy. They keep your baby's skin healthy and dry with Pampers Breathe-Free Liner, which wicks away wetness, allowing your baby's skin to breathe. Swathers have always given me peace of mind, knowing that diaper rash and leaky diapers were not in our future. There's also the blowout barrier at the back waist to help prevent up to 100% of leaks, even blowouts. Pampers Swathers are dermatologist approved by the Skin Health Alliance. Hypoallergenic and free of parabens and latex. Your baby deserves that. And they're available in a wide range of sizes, from newborn to size 8, and now feature designs with the newest animal characters, Shiloh the elephant and Freddy the duck. Having a diaper you can depend on is important, and it's why I have always loved Pampers, the number one pediatrician-recommended brand. Download the Pampers Club app today to start earning rewards with every diapers and wipes purchase. Not to mention, get great parenting content with Pampers Club.
1: Hi, Latina to Latina listeners. It's Brenda from Tamarindo Podcast. And if you love Latina to Latina, then we know that you're going to love Tamarindo Podcast. And if you're in the LA area and can't make it to the Latina to Latina live event, we'd like to invite you to our event on March 28th. At six thirty PM, we're hosting Amigas Blossoming, a night of celebrating and cultivating blossoming friendships. This will be in Highland Park, and all the details to RSVP for free are at tamarindopodcast.com forward slash events.
0: Hey, Red, what are you up to? Just making sure all the M&M's gifts are wrapped and the balls filled. <laughs> Remember that one holiday party when we had no M&M's? Oh boy, I still have nightmares. The cookies? Yeah, you used all the M&M's candies that were meant to decorate the party treats to decorate snowmen. You did it again, didn't you? (laughs) They do look cute, though. Bringing cheer. M&M's for all fun kind. One of the things I watched you run into with the show was the fact that it was... It was it was a Mexican American family, mm-hmm. um, and because there are so few shows, or so so such little content about Latinos, mm-hmm. a lot of the feedback was, "Well, this isn't my family." Yes. Well, well you're not me. Yeah. <laughs> and our mutual friend Jose Antonio Vargas yes. has a secondhand quote. So forgive me if this <laughs> yeah. should be attributed. I attribute it to Jose, but. Um, Do you know when we met, I kept calling him Jose Antonio? And he was like, you know, it's not my name, right? I'm just just Jose. Okay. So but Jose had had a had a mentor, I think, at the Washington Post who said there's universality in specifics. Be specific. Yes. Don't make a pan Hispanic show. Make it like very, very specific about like these are Mexicans in Texas. Yes, this is specific. I just don't know how you get around that feedback loop where people, because they don't have Latino shows, are then mad that the one Latino show isn't. Well,
1: you know, I think that we have to, uh, in order to fix that, we do need more content. And actually, um, I believe in that so much, the specificity. That's why I made it a point to set the show in Dallas. That's why I made it a point to say that we we're a Mexican-American. Because I also wanted to show, um, a lot of times when we see Latino culture in mainstream, you know, pop culture we always don't know what they are and even what we i mean we we're we're known as latino but we really you know and it's weird because when you do know what they are they're usually puerto rican or cuban some mexican but not really you know it's a very really uh, puerto rican cuban and i think that by being specific and saying what you are You actually let people know how many more uh, variations
0: of Latino there are. Especially what I I believe the number is that 80% of Latinos in the U.S. are Mexican. Yes. It's like something ridiculous. I go, we're we're all Mexican. (laughs) Let me save you money on your ancestry DNA test. This is the point where like someone hears me say that and starts tweeting at me. I'm not Mexican. (laughs) But yes. Okay, but but to underline the point for someone who is listening and having that freak out moment, it is that given that the vast majority of Latinos in this country are Mm -hmm. Mexican or Mexican-American, then the fact that the majority of content or representation is of people like myself who are Cuban, Cuban American, or yeah. Puerto Ricans. Um, that 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 ratio is the problem.
1: Uh, and, and it's weird. Yes, and and you know what's interesting to me is that you know um, I think that. Um people, the Latino community is very hungry for representation. You've seen it in media, everybody, like right now, people are saying, they're talking about Latinos, the the lack of Latino presence in the Oscar nominations. And what do we do? And what do we do? And we have to realize that it's not a quick fix. And uh, we've been trying to do it for decades, for years, but uh, we're not there yet. And, you know, I say this in regards to anything. We have to try Not just because we think that we're going to change things, but we have to keep trying and along the way think, I hope I'm moving the needle and understand that it's a long process. But when Latinos are hungry for representation, they judge everything. A lot of times some of them judge things very harshly because it has to be perfect. And uh, no perfect show exists
0: can I be on your podcast? Cuz this is like a to be like this is legit to be continued because we still have to talk about so many things. Like I feel like we I got to like we nothing. Have to do like another podcast I didn't, even get to, I didn't get to talk to you about immigration. I didn't get to talk to you about uh, politics in the age of Trump. I didn't get to talk to you about your comedy special. Do that?
1: Oh my god, that's more important.
0: Okay. Go. That's it for now, but we want to hear from you. Email us at Latina at bustle.com. Send us ideas for awesome guests or whatever it is you're thinking about right now. Remember to subscribe to Latina to Latina on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or wherever you're listening. And please leave a review. We love hearing from you. Latina to Latina is produced by Lantigua Williams & Co., mixed by Oluwakemi Aladasui with assistance from Anna Parsons. Our executive editor is Emily Ann Epstein. Our editorial supervisor is Roseanne Salvatore. And we've got to give a special thank you to Jenny Hollander.